I wanted to introduce our guest speaker. His name is Charles Frick. He's the chief scientist at Johns Hopkins University Applied Physics Laboratory. And he's here to talk a little bit about our indicators of behavior subproject. So uh, Charles, I'll, I'll let you actually do, a, I know I didn't do much of an intro there for you. So did you have anything you want to add to your intro before I ask you some questions? Just one my minor thing, because I don't want to sell myself too highly. I'm a chief scientist at uh, Johns Hopkins Applied <laughs> Physics Lab, just because we have a, I oversee uh, research in our cyber operations area for something we like to call the Capabilities Development Group. But just out of respect for my fellow chief scientists out there uh, at the laboratory, <laughs> just wanted to caveat gotcha. that I tend to focus more in cybersecurity, automation, and threat intelligence uh, sharing research that we do here. To start off then, um, I just have a couple of questions for you. Give me your elevator pitch on what the IOB is. Absolutely. So thank you. First of all, thanks everybody for having me today. So one of the hats I wear is I'm also the uh, chair for the Indicators Behavior subproject under the Open Cybersecurity Alliance. And as for the elevator pitch, we were looking for to help define uh, ways to use open standards to represent cyber adversary behaviors because we wanted to be able to share detections and ways to correlate detections that were a little bit more effective and had longer shelf lives than a lot of the current work we're seeing in sharing indicators of compromise. Because IOCs, for those of us familiar with them, very actionable, for the most part, insanely short shelf lives of once you see it in the wild, it's not there very long uh, as an active threat. We wanted to be able to share things that would persist longer. And we look at a lot of the analytics being shared, and there's some really great analytics being put out there that can be used for longer periods of time, but they're very tailored to specific campaigns. And a lot of folks do that because we want to reduce the false positive rate because we still have this mindset of the analytic is going to go directly to feed something like our seam, and we're still going to have a human looking at those, so we need low false positives. So to make right. a highly accurate analytic, it's really tailored to this is APT, umpty squat, doing campaign X, and if, they, if that group does this again, this might detect that. Well, we wanted to think about it a little differently and say, what if I have kind of a two, some two-pass type of analytics where automation would be looking at the first wave. And so I might not care if it has a high false alarm rate, but what I care about is if these two, three, four analytics have data that we can correlate across. And so I might see the pattern, like one of the patterns we do in our example is, I wanna know anytime a mail client launches a web browser, I'm not gonna alert a human to that. But if a if the same machine has the mail client open a web browser, the web browser access a macro-enabled office file, and that same computer modify the system registry within a certain timeline, I care about that, the fact that that happened on the same machine. Right, and if right. that user account that, ex, that was opening that email happens to be tied to launch eventually spawning a process that's now owned by the system on that computer, I care about that. And right. if there was other processes that started sending weird network traffic to a domain controller, 
I care about that in itself, but the fact that that can be tied and have those breadcrumbs, that makes it a lot easier to detect that something that there's some weird behavior going on that I is probably tied to an adversary. And so we wanted to look at how we could share those detections, but also share how you cross-correlate that. And that led us to start our work that we're doing currently on indicators of behavior. Long elevator pitch, just, it was a very tall building. <laughs> no, understood, understood. Pitch. So what makes it important to you, this working group, this sub-project? So what makes it important to me really is trying to really seeing the need to push forward our uh, network defense and better leverage automation. I've been doing you know, cybersecurity automation pilots and research you know, for close to 10 years now. And I keep seeing the majority of our organization still heavily mired in a manual process, which is completely unsurvivable. Right. Because you know, the bad guys, sure. they're using automation. I think it, I'll get the attribution wrong. I think it was Michael Daniel who said it first, though, that that's bringing people to a software fight and that's never going to win. But so we started looking at automation and I keep seeing us focus so much on indicators of compromise and blocking them. And that's very important to do in a very short time frame. And I'm talking minutes where we've had our best success is normally having a community lock an IOC within three to five minutes of it first being seen in the wild and knowing that it's going to age off in a matter of days for the most part. We can have the debate on file hashes, but you know, the bad guys aren't stupid and they don't stay, you know, amazingly, they also know how to look up their IP addresses and virus total. And if they see their, their infrastructure publicly being broadcast as a cyber attack, they move on because they want to keep attacking. As you would. Yeah. And so it's got us looking at, we need a way to get this better. And the answer can't be make more and more super complex things that can need master's degrees and PhD level computer scientists to execute because our workforce, that doesn't exist at the scale we right. need it. And right. so we need the vendors and the MSSPs to be able to scale out. And for them to scale out, what we saw in other forms, we need better standards to, to, to define and standardize the information so that they can start adapting tools and automation on behalf of their customer bases. And so that's why I care about this. Nice. All right. So speaking about needs then, what, what does your subproject need? Where could you use some help? Well, we are always looking for folks to help review some of the uh, developments that we're doing on our reference implementations. I'd be doing a bad job if I didn't do a plug for the IOB repository on GitLab. Um, I'm sorry, GitHub. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we regularly post public releases of some of our samples. We're using sticks with several extensions right now and some custom objects. And we would love to get more feedback. And so folks that are willing to take a look at our samples and provide some critic constructive criticism and suggestions for improvements is always right. welcome. Additionally, we are looking to, uh, over the coming year, uh, partner with a few other initiatives throughout not just the OCA, but other opportunities that might arise and people that want to volunteer their time or their organizations that want to volunteer some time to participate together with the standard. 
they're always welcome and can be greatly helpful because we can develop some of our kind of simple analytical tools and things to help make some parts of this easier, but it does take a, a community. And so anybody that's willing to work, I know uh, we also have some active groups looking to build out ontologies. If folks out there are interested in that, we welcome your contributions. Basically just anybody that wants to help on any way whatsoever with designing out machine readable data, <laughs> we'll, fi we'll find a job for you. And if there's something you think we're not doing, we're pretty glad to let you take lead in getting us to start doing it. Awesome. Thanks so much, Charles.